You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. The Paschal Mystery is a strange phrase that most of you have probably never heard, uh, but I hope that we can become really familiar with this phrase because the Paschal Mystery describes the heart of the Christian gospel. It refers to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's this Paschal mystery that the church enters into, participates in, in these next three days. Tridium is this Latin word that talks about these three sacred days. This is the first of those three. And then the next is Good Friday. And then this whole three-day sequence is completed in our Easter celebration come Sunday morning. You'll notice tonight that at the end of the liturgy, there's no blessing and there's no dismissal. That's because this liturgy is kind of leaving us in the lurch, leaving us hanging, so to speak, picking up on Good Friday, which makes one whole three-day liturgy. You guys didn't know that you were starting a three-day liturgy tonight, did you? Well, Maundy Thursday, this is tonight. Maundy comes from, it's not Monday, which I thought for years it was. It's Maundy, and it comes from mandatum in Latin, or mandate, you could hear the similarity, that was given by our Lord in John chapter 13, verse 34. We just read that, and I began the sermon with that. A new commandment, he says, I give to you. A new mandatum, a new mandate, I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Tonight, as we begin this three-day Journey. This is like the most sacred of journeys in the Christian year. As we begin, I want to take a closer look at exactly what this command is really all about. But that command comes at the end of a, a, a section of text in verse 34. I want to go all the way back to the beginning in chapter 13, verse 1. And I want to start from the beginning and I want to look at two key phrases that help us understand this command that Jesus later gives. These two key phrases... One, the Bible tells us that Jesus' hour had come. Do you rem remember that from the reading? It's the first phrase. And the other, the Father had given all things into his hands. I want to look at these two phrases together this morning, this evening. First, what does it mean that his hour had come? It's like, um, and I know y'all can relate to this, it's like that moment in that Netflix series you've been binging nonstop where the big, you, I know we don't do that, right? It's been Lance, we're not binging on anything. But if you were, let's say, hypothetically binging on Netflix or watching this great movie, there's this point in the storyline where that everyone's waiting for. If it's a good storyline, ask Mario. He knows how to do this kind of thing. It leaves you on the edge of your seat waiting for the big reveal, right? This the climax of the narrative. Everything in the story has been working up into this point, this moment where we're waiting with our popcorn for this big reveal. This hour in John 13, in that first verse, this hour was that moment for Jesus. But check this out. It was that moment for all of human history. That's a pretty big scale story. Think back all the way back. From creation, from Adam and Eve, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah and the flood, the exodus, the kings, the judges, 
All of the prophets, all of, all of that, everything everyone said, all of those images that look familiar to us now, all of that throughout history was building thousands upon thousands of years, building to this story, to this one hour that now had come. God was, this is like the biggest setup of all time. God is guiding history shaping it, pointing it in a specific direction toward this most holy moment, this great reveal, to show this, the full extent of his love. How would he do that? Everything else that was leading up to this, those were just shadows. Those were just types. Those were just prefigurations or images that were signing something, foretastes of something to come. But all of those were just clues that now give way to the truest act of love that there is now in this hour in Jesus Christ. The other phrase that I want to look at real quick, and I'm going to come back to that, is this. Scripture says that Father had given all things into Jesus' hands. Now just let that sink in for a second. We can read scripture sometimes and not really let it soak in. The Father had given everything into Jesus' hands. Everything had been given into his hands. So that means that there's not a drop of power in the world that now does not belong to Jesus, that is not in his hands. There's not an inch of your life that is now not in his hands. Everything is in his hands. All things were made by him and through him and for him. And Colossians tells us, and in him all things hold together. Before we got photos of the black hole or whatever NASA took a picture of, which was amazing, this was in his hands. In the hands of a human being, Jesus now possessed all of this, all power, all time, all lives. So, so let's put these two together at this perfect hour, this moment with everything in his hands. At the climax of this story, Jesus now possessing every inch of creation, all authority, all absolute power. What does Jesus do? What would you do? If you wanted to complete your will, get your project done, complete your mission, you have everything in your hands and everything has been building up to this point, what would you do? Does Jesus take up a judge's gavel? No. Does he give a threatening speech to really stick it to his friends, warn them? No. Does he sit down with his disciples and do a performance evaluation, like a review? Does he whip out his list of all of the sins that he has witnessed in their lives? Does he wield a sword? What does he do? Jesus does something that should totally shock us because it shocked the disciples. Even his closest, Peter, was totally shocked. He takes up a towel. Jesus. This hour had finally come. All things are in his hands. He takes up a towel. And, and even more, knowing that Judas would betray him for cash in just a moment, he takes up a towel. Knowing that his disciples would deny him, would lie to him, would treat him ruthlessly, others would even kill him, 
Even still, Jesus, at this hour, with all things in his hands, he took up a towel. That's, it's the thing we take up when we need to clean up a mess, dry off our car, when we get out of the shower, when we're drying off or cleaning up a mess. It's the tool, it's the instrument that a servant of all takes up. This is the thing that Jesus takes up at this critical moment that all of history has been building to. He takes up a towel, all the other things he could have taken up. He possesses all things, and yet our Lord takes up a towel. You guys get how crazy that sounds? And for what? To be sentimental? To say, wow, Jesus, that's really sweet of you. That means a lot. We're going to remember this, Jesus. What a memorable thing to do. How unexpected, you know, to take up a towel. Does he do it to make us feel bad? Does he do it to just kind of stir up our emotions so that tonight we can get whipped up in like some sort of emotional response? Do we need to be, does he do it to move us? No, he doesn't do it for any of those reasons. Jesus took a towel. He chose a towel to reveal the love of the Father at this hour with all things in his hands. This was the Father's love. It's the same love that tomorrow he chooses to take up a cross not to be sentimental, but to actually accomplish what needed to be accomplished. Something that you and I could not accomplish. Something that only the love of God could ever accomplish. And that is the forgiveness of sins. The way that he washes our feet, we see later that his blood washes our sins. We're in him justified, made right, made new. This is the big reveal of the love of God. He comes not to to make us feel warm about him, but to step on the neck of death itself and to free all, all slaves, all captives, to break all bonds and for us to share in the fullness of life with him. That's why he comes to take up a towel tonight. Think about this. This was the moment that God was waiting for throughout all of eternity. This towel in Christ's hands must be super important. If this is it, the cross he soon carries, and that's got to be really important. If this is the instrument that our Father has chosen at this time, a towel and a cross must be super important. And it is. Can you see why this is so important? Because not only does it show us in a visible way, I mean, he could have just like canceled our debts in some sort of invisible way, but no, he chose a towel and a cross, material things, stuff, so that we could see the reality that was being enacted. He wanted to show us his love that we could see, that we could participate in, that our own feet could be washed by. He chooses a towel, he chooses a cross, friends, in order to choose you. So that you, sitting here tonight, would understand God's great self-sacrificing love in all of its forms. How can I get this across to you? Let me choose a towel. Let me choose a cross. Even when you are still lost in sin, Jesus chooses a towel to wash your feet. Even when you come tonight, like, do we really, he still chooses a towel, even in the humiliation of it all, he chooses a towel to wash your feet. What a great mystery 
this love is, even if it's a little bit uncomfortable. It does things we can't understand. It washes us, this love of God. It transforms us. It changes the future of our life. It changes our families. It changes our communities. Y'all, this power of God and the love of Christ has the power to actually transform and make new the entire planet, all societies. And for disciples of Jesus, this kind of love that we now see taken up in a towel and tomorrow in a cross, listen, if you're a disciple of Jesus, these aren't optional like add-on features to the Christian life. These are central to what it means to actually follow Jesus today, to love your neighbor as he has loved us. It's not up for negotiation. It's a mandatum. Now you're going to be thinking about that all week. An actual command to you. If you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus has a command to you. What would happen if his disciples actually obeyed him? Loving others is the way that Christ has loved us. What would happen if we loved our supervisors, the ones that are total jerks at work? What if we loved them the way that Christ loved us? What about that neighbor those people that you disagree with online or wherever they are in the world, that difficult family member that you have, we all have them. I'm not talking about you, Seth, but we all have those difficult family members. (laughs) Even our enemies, Jesus commands us not to love the people that are easy for us to love, but the exact opposite of that actually, our enemies, those that are most difficult to love. After all, he loved us even when we were working against him. Enemies of God. And in this love, you're thinking, okay, objection, Sean, time out. This is like wonderful theology, beautiful service, but hold up. We're going to suffer if we love this way. You might. I mean, you likely will, actually. If you're not suffering, I would wonder if you're doing it right, to be honest. We might be humbled. We might even actually have to take up a towel We might even have to lay down our lives for our friends on something like a cross. But friends, where do you think Jesus leads us? Somewhere around the towel, somewhere around the cross? No, but through it. And we can follow him without fear because we know that in this death, in this humiliation, even in these small sufferings and big ones, there is resurrection on the other side. These are not just inspirational thoughts for us tonight. Tonight isn't something that we can just be a somber reenactment of Christ's love with a foot washing and a meal. How ceremonial, how ritualistic, how beautiful is that? That's awesome. This isn't, friends, religious theater. Can you just break out of that if you feel that way tonight? This is not religious theater. We don't do this um, because we like to hold each other's disgusting feet in our hands. I can tell you, people are like, so we're going to do this with our hands and then we're going to drink out of the same cup and like with bread in our hand. That sounds awful. We don't do this because it's like super fun theater. We don't all drink out of the same cup because it's super sanitary. And I trust me, I get all, I know, I I, trust me, I get it. We do this out of obedience, friends, to Christ who says, do like I do, love like I do, take up a towel, take these feet in your hands. Take this bread, this is my body. Take this cup, this is my blood. We do this 
and obedience. Scripture says, when, you know when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, that word remembrance is so key, it's actually anamnesis, if I can geek out for a minute here, okay? It's a different kind of remembering. It's not an intellectual recollection. It's not a recalling of a past event, but it is a remembering of a reality that was once past that now we are caught up in as it speeds into the present moment to meet us. It is a remembering, a reality that now comes into the present that we experience firsthand. On the way here, my kids were like, how many services do we have this week, you know? And I said, well, look, can we think about it this way? Tonight, we're going to be in that room with Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome? Sounds different than just a regular old lit. We're going to be in there washing each other's feet, participating in that same reality that Christ opened up to us in that upper room. Tonight, we don't just remember Christ and his love. In obedience, we anamnesis Christ and his love. Tonight, we encounter Christ when we put our own feet in each other's hands. We encounter the living Jesus. It's Christ who feeds us at his table from his own body and blood. And friends, listen, it's not just tricky theology, but it has to be Christ. Why? Because we have no clue about his love apart from himself. There's no way we even stand a chance to understand, to even fathom the depth and the breadth and the beauty of his self-giving love if it isn't from him. He has to be present. Otherwise, what are we doing here? This is just theater. But the good news is this. We get to anamnesis Christ and his love. He is present to us. And as we wash each other's feet and as we come to the table, we are realizing this isn't just brothers and sisters. These are living members of Christ's body. He's here. He's present with us. Friends, that changes everything. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.